All right, so uh, let's get started. So have you ever noticed that the word that describes something or someone or some situation uh, beyond the ordinary, beyond the mundane, beyond the common, uh, is always changing? You know, I thought back through my uh, long life of all the ways the word to describe that has changed. And I even asked my kids for some input, and I asked actually some some uh, younger folks uh, in between services some, for some more input. Um, so see if you remember any of these words to describe what's beyond common, mundane, normal. Uh, who remembers groovy? All right, that was before my time. I'm raising my hand, but I don't really remember that one. Uh, hip? Hip kind of goes with groovy, same era. Okay, so that was before me. But then there's cool, and that cool's kind of lived forever. Uh, awesome. Awesome was used all the time to talk about everything. Uh, but now there's awesome sauce. And then, then there was filthy. Do you remember when filthy meant awesome and cool? Anybody? No? Uh, okay, how about this? Um, bad. Remember bad? You said bad when it was really good. Ooh, that's bad. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> that was good or was it bad? All right. I'm so confused now. Uh, so then there was rad. There was the bomb. Okay, I have a whole different idea of what the bomb means, but there was a time when we were in our 30s and the teenagers that, like, everything was the bomb. And uh, epic. Remember epic? Amazing, of course, amazing. All that and a bag of chips. <laughs> here, here, fresh. Yeah, I never liked that one. Hardcore, top drawer, out of sight, out of here. Phenom, rockin'. Oh, that's rockin'. Remember when sick meant awesome and cool? Uh, spiffy. Who remembers Spiffy? Okay, you're way out of here. Okay. Um, and then there's wicked. In church, wicked means something, but, uh, you know, out of church, wicked meant good and awesome. Uh, gnarly. Does anybody know what letter gnarly actually starts with? A G. Oh, you guys are awesome. I didn't know that. Uh, then there was dope. Okay, I got that one. For, I got gnarly and dope from one of my uh, son's crunk. Was that a joke? Or is that real? Is that real? All right, who said crunk before? Uh, nobody. Okay, a few of you. Okay. So does that mean awesome? So if I say, man, you look crunk today, does that? <laughs> That's not the right way to use it? Okay. Uh, there was redonkulous. Remember? Any, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. So if you're cool and awesome, you're ridiculous. Uh, and then sweet. That's the last one I have. Um, so it's interesting how language changes. Uh, and in our efforts to communicate, we try to speak in a language that others will not only understand, but that they'll connect with. See how you connected with all that? If I just said, you all look awesome today, you'd be like, okay. But if I say, man, you all look sick today, you'd be like, yeah, I connect with that. So um, today is Palm Sunday, 
And Palm Sunday marks the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And people were cheering for him. And they were saying this about him. They were saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were cheering on Jesus because they thought Jesus was the king that was going to ride into town and scare the Roman government out of Israel. So on Sunday, the people were calling Jesus the king. And then four days later, Thursday, they were calling for his crucifixion. Their language about Jesus changed from blessed be the king to crucify him in just four days. So that was their language about Jesus. Blessed be the king, crucify him. It changed that fast. But Jesus also was communicating with the people around him as he was heading towards Jerusalem, um, heading towards Palm Sunday. And he, his message was intended to radically transform their lives. And this message has been shared with us in God's word, Luke chapter 19. So as Jesus traveled toward his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, he was speaking a language, and he was speaking the language of dangerous faith. Dangerous not to people, but to sin and darkness and despair. And he was also speaking the language of rescue. The language of rescue. So let's look at what Jesus was saying. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. So as Jesus traveled to Jerusalem, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he couldn't see over the crowd. He was too short. And so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for Jesus was about to pass that way. So who was Zacchaeus? He was a man of the high society. He was in a high position in the Roman government as a tax collector, and he was rich. And yet deep down he wanted something more than what he already had. And there's also this desperation in his desire. Rich, powerful, but he ran ahead of the crowd and he climbed a tree so everyone could see, oh, there's short yes, trying to get something else from somebody else. Can you imagine, I don't know, your favorite great athlete or the great performer, uh, or a powerful politician running ahead to see someone that the crowd won't let them see, running ahead, humbling themselves, climbing into a tree just so they can see. So Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus to fill something that was missing in his life. And he was going to overcome any obstacle that was between him and Jesus. Have you ever had an obstacle between you and something you were seeking? If you really want what you're seeking, you're going to do anything you can to move all the obstacles to get that which you're seeking. 
And this is what Zacchaeus was doing. He wasn't going to let anyone stand in his way, literally, between him and Jesus. And then in verse 5, when Jesus came to to the tree that Zacchaeus had climbed, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. So he hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. So Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, and he got what he was seeking. Think about it. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, and Jesus saw Zacchaeus in the tree. He called Zacchaeus by name. He talked to Zacchaeus directly and invited himself to stay at Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus, it says, received him joyfully. Imagine being Zacchaeus at that moment. Jesus sees me. Jesus knows my name. Jesus is speaking directly to me. And Jesus wants to come to my house. Isn't that awesome? Filthy, rad, Bad, the bomb, epic, amazing, all that, fresh. I don't like any of those words, but you know what I'm talking about, right? It's awesome. Jesus knows my name. Jesus sees you. And he knows your name. And he wants to talk directly to you. And he doesn't just want to come to your house for a visit. He wants to live at the epicenter of your life. That is amazing. Now listen to what happened when Jesus got to Zacchaeus' house. Have you ever, like, somebody invited themselves over to your house and you're like... (gasps) And Zacchaeus stood... And said to the Lord, so they're they're in Zacchaeus' house, and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What is Zacchaeus doing? He's repenting of his sin, because he understands that Jesus already knows who he is. Zacchaeus has gained this wealth, by dishonest means, and he selfishly hoarded it, and he tells Jesus, I'm turning away. I'm turning from my old ways and turning to you. You know, we often think of repentance as simply turning away from our sin and turning towards God, and that's true. But we need to remember that repentance is also a declaration of trusting faith. See, look at what Zacchaeus did. Think about what he did. 50% of everything he had, he gave away. And then he began to make uh, payments back to the people that he stole from. Fourfold. How much do you think Zacchaeus had left when he was done? Probably not very much. That's a not only repentance, but it's a declaration of trusting faith in Jesus. 
Lord, I'm going to give it all away because it's not mine. I stole it all. I trust you with my life. It didn't matter to Zacchaeus because he had trusted his life to Jesus. Now listen to the message Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus first. We can't miss this. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus was lost. Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. Boy, that's hard to say. But that's what happened. So Jesus seeking Zacchaeus, something in Zacchaeus' soul was stirred, and he began to seek Jesus. Good news is Jesus is seeking everyone who doesn't know him. So when people seek Jesus, and they receive him joyfully, and he enters their lives, and they turn from their old ways and turn to him, Jesus saves them. This is the language of salvation. Jesus is speaking the language of salvation. And so Jesus continues his message to us in Luke chapter 19. So he's speaking the language of salvation. And now he tells a story, tells a parable, and he begins to speak the language of dangerous faith. As Jesus continued on his journey to Jerusalem, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they, the crowd, supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. In other words, Jesus is the king. Here we go. And he said, therefore, a nobleman, so this is the beginning of the parable. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So in the parable, the nobleman is Jesus. He's communicating that he's not going to be the king right now. He's going to go away. He's going to be the king over all creation. And then he'll come back one day at another time. And then he describes what his followers are to do. While he's away. And the parable continues. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, and he said to them, Engage in business until I return, or until I come. Let me say that again. He says to them, Engage in business until I come. This is the language of dangerous faith. The servants represent believing, trusting, faithful followers of Jesus. And a mine is a form of currency. Uh, it was about wor- worth about three months in that era, three months wages. But the minas in the parable represent your God-given gifts and talents and abilities. And so the nobleman's direction in the parable, engage in business until I come. This represents Jesus' mission for his followers. So what did Jesus tell Zacchaeus was his business? Came to seek and save the lost. And so this is the business of Jesus' followers while Jesus is gone, ruling over the universe before he returns to seek and to save the lost. This is the language of rescue, seek and save the lost. When a child is lost, everyone is seeking 
to save the child. They're on a rescue mission. The language of rescue. Engaging in the business Jesus calls us to requires us to come in contact with sin and brokenness and despair. Jesus calls his followers to a dangerous faith, a rescuing of faith, a faith that says this, I'm going to move past the ordinary, past the mundane, past the common, and move into the dangerous waters. Are you ready for this? Human relationships. Ooh, that is dangerous waters. And that will require sacrificial living, and it will require us to love others without any expectation of receiving love in return. The language of dangerous faith is the language of the cross. Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So what did the nobleman's servants, the nobleman's servants do with the minus? When the nobleman returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they have gained by doing business. The first came for him, saying, came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. What did the servants do while the nobleman was gone? They engaged in the business of the nobleman. When followers of Jesus have dangerous faith and use their gifts and talents and abilities to engage in the business of rescue, of seeking and saving the lost, they are doing the business of Jesus. One into five, one into ten. So when we step past the ordinary, past the mundane, past the common, past the normal, and we enter the dangerous waters of sin and brokenness and despair in the context of human relationships, people are saved like Zacchaeus was. People meet Jesus like Zacchaeus did. And they come to understand that Jesus sees them and Jesus knows their name, and Jesus speaks to them, and Jesus loves them unconditionally, and Jesus wants them to be saved. Now, I also want you to notice the humility with which the two servants responded to the nobleman about the business they had done. Listen to what they said. They said, Lord, your mina has made ten minas. Lord, your mina has made five minas. Do you hear the humility in that? Lord, the gift that you've given me is from you, and it's your gift that has made the difference in people's lives. We just allow God to work in us and through us, but it's the Lord doing the work. 
So when we engage in the business of rescue, we recognize that every gift, every talent we have is from the Lord. And it's the Lord who's doing the rescuing. We simply join him in the work that he's doing. So the language of dangerous faith is this. God gives us gifts and abilities and talents, and he calls us to engage in the business of seeking and saving the lost. And when we engage in this business with humility, people are rescued, people are saved. Now in the parable, two servants engaged in the business of the nobleman. One servant comes to Jesus, or comes to the nobleman. He didn't do anything with his mina, didn't work out so well for him. Read, read Luke 19, the rest of Luke 19, to find out what happened to him. But I have this question. Have you ever read it? I, I just, I've never noticed it until I was studying this week, this chapter. Have you ever noticed what happened to the other seven servants? There were ten servants. Each one got a mina. Jesus talks about three in the parable. What happened to the other seven? Maybe Jesus just didn't want to talk about them. Maybe Jesus forgot about them. No, probably not. Or maybe, maybe we are those servants. And Jesus left it open as a challenge, as a question. So what about you? What are you doing with your mina, your gifts, and your talents, and your abilities? I want to share a quote by, uh, from Erwin McManus. Listen to what he says. God is speaking to humanity, and the language of God is the church. We are how God communicates to the human race. We are God's declaration of God's presence and his reality and his relentless love for humanity. So we are the language of God. Are we speaking? Are we living the language of dangerous faith? The language of rescue? You can uh, pray for Tara and I this week. Uh, last week at Harvey High School, Tara and I, we talked to the students about life after death, the afterlife. We asked them, what, uh, what does the world say about afterlife? What, what do you believe? And then we tried to talk about what the Bible believed, but high school boys, some of them are kind of fidgety, you know. But, uh, but here's the thing. At least half of the students we talked to, the afterlife to them, reincarnation. And, and I asked some of them, well, where, where did you learn that? Where did you get that from? Why do you believe that? And they didn't really uh, know. It's just, it's just something they heard, and it sounds kind of cool, and so they believe it. And so this week, Tara and I want to speak the language of rescue. We want them to know, you know, there's no one else coming for you but Jesus. There is no one else. There is no reincarnation. There's no one else coming for you. Jesus is the way, the only way. He's the truth, the only truth. He's the life, the only life. But most importantly, we want them to seek Jesus the way Zacchaeus did. 
And so we, we, we together need to pray for them that, that the Lord's work in their hearts would stir up a desire to seek after Jesus, to seek after the truth. And so Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and the people are cheering, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And while Jesus is riding on his donkey, and everyone's cheering for him, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, tell your disciples you're not the king because you're not the king. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if, they, if these, this crowd, were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus is speaking the language of unstoppable. Jesus is unstoppable. The gospel is unstoppable. The good news of Jesus is unstoppable. He's saying, if, even if all my followers stop cheering for me, the movement of the gospel will continue. Even when he was crucified, the gospel was unstoppable. So Jesus is telling us that his mission of seeking and saving the lost is unstoppable. It can't be stopped. So we should be encouraged as followers of Christ. Our dangerous faith can't be stopped. So to Jesus, dangerous faith will always be bad, rad, and the bomb. It will be epic and amazing. But really my favorite is dangerous faith will always be the great adventure. So Jesus speaks the language of salvation and dangerous faith that is unstoppable. And then he finishes his journey in Jerusalem and he speaks the language of invitation. In verse 41, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day that th the things that make for peace. The unstoppable language of salvation that leads to dangerous faith brings peace. Think about this. When your, your gas gauge in your car is almost empty, do you, do you drive faster to get to all the places that you want to go before you run out of gas? Oh, some of you are looking like, yeah, I've done that. Or do you go, I'm almost out of gas. I need to stop at the gas station. Hopefully you stop at the gas station. Well, when you are low in peace, when you are in turmoil, when you are empty, when you're experiencing brokenness and despair in your soul, do you try and fill your life with more stuff more things, race around to add to all of that, to try and make it better? Or do you press into Jesus to be filled with the Holy Spirit so you can live out your dangerous faith? So Jesus invites us to peace. Peace with him, which comes through a relationship with him. Then he invites us to prayer, which is the essence of our relationship with him. In verse 45 and 46, it says, And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, 
but you have made it a den of den of robbers. So Jesus gets a little gnarly here. His attitude is hardcore. He wants everyone to understand in the temple. He's turning over tables. Look, this is about me. He's trying to show them no one else is coming for them. There's no one else who will rescue them. There's no one else who's seeking you and wants to save you. Jesus says, my house shall be a house of prayer for us. We can say he wants a relationship with us that leads the way to life. So we want to speak the language of God. We want to speak the language of salvation. We want to speak the language of dangerous faith that's unstoppable. And we want to speak the language of invitation. We can be dangerous to sin and brokenness and despair. And we can engage in God's business of rescuing others. Now, before I close in prayer, there's no closing song because of the kids' program. Before I close in prayer, I just want to point to two ways that you can be a little dangerous this week. In the bulletin is some invitations to Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday services. And there's a card. I'm going to intentionally invite these people. Write those names on the card and say, all right, Lord, Give me the opportunity to invite those people. We want to be dangerous with invitation. And second, we want to be dangerous with our testimony. Next Sunday, uh, anybody who wants to will share their testimony. It'll be on video, and you don't have to say a thing. If you haven't done it already, who's already done a, a, a wordless testimony? All right, a bunch of you. You can go in the youth center, take three minutes, Right on one side of the poster board, this is who I was before Jesus. Flip it over. This is who I am now. Stand in front of the video camera for a few seconds. And then you can say, I shared my testimony on Easter Sunday to everybody who came. All right, let's pray. So, Lord, we want to speak your language the language of salvation and dangerous faith that's unstoppable and the language of invitation. And so, Lord, give us this week opportunities to be who you've called us to be, to use our gifts and our talents and our abilities to point people to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to the podcast now, and for more info, including sermon outlines, visit our website at www.kurtlandchristian.org.